Welcome to the Digital Marketing Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Gavin, and along with marketing experts and industry leaders, we'll explore the meeting point of mentorship and marketing. As we chat, we'll delve into how these connections have affected our careers, marketing strategies, and lives. Deep conversations will uncover how we're all human, and in the process, we'll give you key takeaways to implement in your career. Digital marketing has a whole people side to it, and along with my guests, we'll aim to uncover it. Now get ready to get human. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited to be here today with Kirk Williams, the owner of Zato PPC Marketing. And Kirk has like a huge long list of what he does and what he's accomplished. I'm going to go through a couple of them. Um, Obviously, he's the owner and lead strategist of Zato PPC Marketing. It's a micro-agency dedicated to running Google Ads for small and large businesses, and obviously staying on top of paid search best practices. He's been named one of the 25 most influential PPCers in the world by PPC Hero from 2016 to 2021, uh, which is so cool. He's the author of two amazing books that I own both of, uh, Ponderings of a PPC Professional and Stop the Scale. He's also been a conference speaker at many conferences from Brighton SEO to SMX. Actually, that's the first place that I met Kirk was at State of Search in Dallas, Texas. And I think that might have been one of his first uh, presentations. So kind of knew Kirk before he was the man. And then he also has his own podcast called PPC Ponderings, which is really great. Uh, the editing is amazing and, uh, and oh, the content even better. Um, so Kirk, how are you? Good. Good. Thank you. Yeah. No, that's funny. I had kind of forgotten about the state of search days, you know, years ago. That was, those are really good times. Yeah. I love that conference. I know it was such a, such an amazing conference. And for those people, it's a search conference in Dallas, Texas, very regional. And the cool part about it was, you know, although it's small, but like it really brought in big speakers, but it also gave people the opportunity to like come in and, Mm -hmm. and, and show their stuff. Yeah, there there have been a few regional conferences like that that I've been at, um, like Minnesota Search and uh, SLC. I think it's Utah DMC. I think they call it, and and similar to the one in Dallas, their state of search. They like it's a very similar vibe, exact exactly what you described. It's kind of like they bring in a lot of a lot of you know well known speakers who travel, but also there's kind of that local vibe thing going on as well. So you just so it's kind of a small atmosphere, but you have some big name speakers. It's really fun. Yeah. Yeah, and for those who don't have never been to like a an, an event or a conference like that, especially if you're in the digital marketing world, like it's so valuable. I can't tell you like how much you learn. You know, as much as you can go on and follow blog posts and, and YouTube, but like there's something special about a conference. You know, not every not every presentation is going to be amazing, but there are you really get some great nuggets, and it can change your whole year till the next time you go. And and I would just add, like I think exactly what you said. You know, it's not necessarily I mean, sometimes at those conferences, you really do have presentations that are just that that's stuff that's not presented somewhere else. It's really, really good. I just have always thought that the benefit is exactly, you know, that networking aspect where you go and you can sit there and then it's like it's like talking about it in between the sessions. It's like going to lunch and chatting with other people who are actually in PVC accounts and and just asking them some of those questions that maybe you don't feel like voicing online, right? For the world to see on Twitter or Reddit. Um, and just kind of pondering that stuff together. There's just incredible value with those. So yeah, that's such a good point. I'm glad you brought it up. It's always about, right? It's like the, the it's like in design, the white space, right? It's the time where it's off, and that's where you can actually bring out the beauty of everything else. So today uh, we're gonna be talking about mentorship 
in a PPC marketing microagency and also the different facets of your life. And then also we're going to get into Kirk's specialty of shopping and Google ads in general. All right. So we're going to start off. Let's get a little bit into your background, Kirk. So can you tell us a little bit about where you went to school and what you studied? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have deep school um, history in the marketing and business space in that I have never taken a business or marketing class. Um, I actually have theology degrees, you know, so ironically, um, I was just talking to someone about this where in the PPC community, you'll, you'll meet people like this person has a philosophy degree. This person has a, you know, theology degree. This person has a, a literature degree, whatever it might be. And it's just a cool thing about digital marketing and PPC is that it just brings all these people together. Um, I'm starting to meet more people with marketing degrees, but overall, I just think that, you know, it's been, it's been attractive to anyone who has done a little bit of work. And there's something about the creative plus stats analytics side for certain people. That's just a draw. And that, and that's what it was for me. Kind of stumbled into it actually when I was pursuing my master's in theology. And, uh, I just needed a job to basically like help me pay the bills. Right. Um, so sure. Anything that comes along, a marketing opportunity came along. And then eventually in that company, I got into the PPC realm. And for whatever reason, it just clicked. I, I just, I just really loved that aspect that there were kind of both aspects. There was kind of a psychology trying to figure out people and figure out how to, how you present benefits in that. But also, it's still like PBC has historically been very like data driven, stats driven, analysis driven, right? Um, it's not just like you're getting, you're really thinking through this video and thinking through an anchor video and creating it. And it's, it's kind of hardcore audience and, and, and that. Um, it's also kind of, at least, especially when I started, um, it was even very like, uh, sometimes there's like mind numbing copy paste work involved too. Like you'd go through the keyword list, you just build out this expan- expansive keyword list and then like set your manual CPCs and, and adjust things manually. And for whatever reason, I just love doing that. So it's amazing that like kind of you stumbled, stumbled into it. But when you look back at like your seminary theological like background, I'm sure as with anything we do in our life, like it adds to who we are and what we do. Where, what do you think like from that experience? makes you a better marketer or a PPC marketer today? I think a couple of aspects. I do think there's some level of like a big part of theology is kind of diving into like the study of people and God, if you will. Right. Um, and yeah. even with differing opinions on that, you are kind of spending time like learning about people and how we how we act, how we think, that sort of thing. So it's funny because I don't, I don't know if I'd place a, oh, hey, this is exactly what I learned that I tie. But I do think that, you know, when you just spend years kind of thinking through like, you know, what drives people? How do people make decisions? Like, how do they, how do they think? What kind of helps a person? Cause that's a, a big part of, a big part of, you know, theology, right? Really in any religion is, like people are trying to change who they are at some level. There might be some level that someone is like unhappy with who they are and they want to change it. Right. <laughs> and ironically, a huge part of marketing is that. Um, I think there are ways you can be unhealthy about that. I think there are ways that you can be healthy about that. Like, Hey, here's, here's an opportunity to improve this area of your life and then kind of figuring out how to, how to present that and benefit. So I, I th- actually think that had probably some impact more of a, 
directly tied impact for me was I just had to read a ton of stuff. Like I just had to, I had to take a ton of books, read them, figure out like the, maybe the argument they were making, distill that, respond to that argument, and then like distill that into a paper. And then I had to do a ton of writing. So I had to do a ton of reading, a ton of writing, you know, all at the same time, especially it could be on different topics. Um, and I actually think that kind of helped directly train me to be able to consume a, a bit of different content, especially just in the PPC world and be able to kind of process it, distill it into different points, whatever, think through the the aspects of it logically, and then like maybe respond to that. And so that's actually where I, I actually got going is just writing is, is, um, I, I feel more comfortable with writing than I do speaking. I just feel like I'm able to better process my arguments and my thoughts or even just process out loud. Right. And so I just found that that kind of clicked with me and probably helped prepare me a little bit for specifically the PBC world and specifically about like growing Zato's brand and, and getting awareness with that. And I couldn't agree with you more because I think we've talked about this in the past, you and I, but you know, I also, I went to rabbinical seminary. Um, so we have a similar background in that, in that case. And I, I credit a lot of, you know, the way I think and the way I've been, you know, successful in digital marketing is through the processes that I learned to think through things and to analyze and mm-hmm. to communicate. So, so I think it's a, a great point is sometimes it's not about the subject matter, but it's just the skills and everything that you use in order to, to get that. Those are very transferable. So, you know, I often find, you know, you know, there's always the debate, and I'd love to hear your opinion on, you know, should, you know, do, when you're hiring someone, do they need a college education or not? But the the pro of like, why would you want to have someone with a bachelor's? But going through that system and kind of training their mind and answering things, right, that adds a certain pedigree that maybe you wouldn't get if you didn't go through some like formal higher education. I'd love to know what you think about that. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because there are such strong opinions on all around, right? Like, yes, as totally. with anything at, at this point in, in life, you know, <laughs> pick a topic and you'll find strong opinions at this point. So, you know, we don't do a ton of hiring. We're a small agency. I've just not had to do a ton of hiring, to be honest. Um, and so, like, it's one of those things where I try to I try to communicate like I have opinions. And then, then also, like, I have not done, you know, I'm, I'm not the person who's hired like 4,000 people. And so I have all this data around it, right? That's fair. Although I, like for someone listening, I will shout out a book that someone, I, a few different people referred to me as you're trying to figure out how to learn. What I've found is like really find people who are experts in whatever they do. And there's almost a level of it doesn't, it almost doesn't matter if it's just interesting to you. I started following a guy on Twitter who's like an expert at like strip mall real estate, you know, like, like the little malls is like the outside malls. I, I have, I have no intention of ever purchasing real estate in strip mall, but like just the way that he processes and, and has some interesting just business ideas was super in, interesting. But also what I've found is that individuals have, they, they have their own people. They follow in resources that eventually probably will connect with you. Right. And so as I've, as I found good people that are trustworthy in terms of just their knowledge and business, I've asked them. They have done a lot of hiring. I've asked them, like, hey, what are your go-to resources? And the book, Who, um, by Randy Street, I think. I think uh, Jeff Smart, I believe. I think it was a couple couple of people wrote it. But the book, Who, it's literally called Who, was referred to me by multiple people. So I read it. And I don't know, for what it's worth, I really 
you know, liked it. So I'll, I'll throw that out as a hiring idea um, resource. But like to answer your question specifically, I've just found that overall, I decreasingly have a strong opinion on whether someone should have a bachelor's or not. And I am more kind of looking for, okay, here's the specific role I'm trying to fill. Like, do they have the curiosity and the passion as they're pursuing that? Do they have, do they have, you know, the ability to learn? Do they have in some ways, like some level of education is needed, you know, we're, we're marketers. So like, if someone is not able to put a grammatical sentence together and yet they're supposed to be writing like forward facing customer ads, you know, that like, that's not, that's not that we're like, you know, putting them down for not having the education. That's like, that actually is a core thing that we need. We, we, our clients trust us in order to have an ad that doesn't have spelling mistakes. Right. So I think there's some level of that. So, so I, in some ways, I think I'd say I, I would look at individual, like individual people as they come and just whether that's a fit. But on the, on the flip side, I absolutely agree with the fact that someone who has been able to, to commit to a program, absolutely they're, they've learned from it, especially someone who, who really is a curious person. They've dug in, you know, there are things that they've learned soft skills. There are those things that they've learned in order to commit to uh, be able to follow instructions, to write, to be able to do this stuff, I, I do think is valuable. And so I, you know, I, I think there's a value there. And then you, you do have to do a cost analysis though as well, in my opinion, as far as, okay, well, then what are you going to invest for that degree program and, wh- and what can it get you and, and all that? And then that goes into loans and all that stuff as well. But I certain, certainly think that there is a lot of value as someone who's you know, done um, a couple different higher education courses that don't have to do with my career. I'm, I'm happy about that, to be honest. Like, I don't, I don't, I guess regret it. So. Yeah. I think, like you said, it's, it's complex, but I think if you can get a little bit of both, right. Find people with passion, but also find ways to see how people can, you know, work in structure and have good soft skills. Like that, that's like the ideal, right. The marriage of both. Mm -hmm. Cool. So Let's now get into why we're here today about mentorship and marketing. So the first thing I'd like to ask you is how would you define a mentor? I think at a base level, I would define a mentor as anyone who like has the willingness and the knowledge to offer help to someone in an ongoing manner. And I don't really think I'd limit it much more than that. Like I think that age doesn't have a strong Pole there, although sometimes you tend to see someone who's older with a mentor. But again, to me, it's more of like the willingness. So I think that's there. Like if you're kind of annoyed to be a mentor, that's you're probably not a good mentor. Like if you're going to be annoyed with someone asking questions. But like the, if I think of people who have mentored me, it's just someone who just is actually happy to help me and answer my questions. But they also have the knowledge so that I can, um, or or they have the knowledge to point me in the right direction, even if they don't know. An answer. So, yeah, I think that's great. And it's I, that brings up a really important point about finding someone who is patient and willing. Because sometimes you find the people who know everything, but like when you speak to them, like they you just want to run away because they just have no time. So, it's that is such an important trait. You've mentioned that your father in law has been a significant mentor for you. I'd love to learn more about that because obviously that goes outside of, let's say, direct business. You know, did you intentionally go after and say, Hey, can I get your help? 
you know, or had, did it kind of develop naturally with your relationship with him? Yeah, no. Yeah. Good question. And, and, and to be fair, I think I'd say both like, like, you know, I love my parents. I think my father and mother have also been mentors in my life as, as I think kind of specifically business. I think that's where I think more of my father-in-law. So we actually, I mean, years ago when we actually started the business and moved from Louisville, Kentucky up here to Billings, Montana, part of that move was actually because like, we needed the money to get out on the own and take on our own and take the risk. So we actually moved in with my in-laws and what, what kind of happened is uh, we just kind of had this suddenly organic mentorship where we would just be sitting around the dinner table and, you know, chatting type of a deal. And I, I think it was just one of those like, well, how'd the day go? Right. And we talk about it and maybe he'd, he'd talk through some, well, Hey, you know, so he's an insurance agent. So, Hey, here, here's some things. And here I, I had this interesting situation happen with a sale that happened, blah, blah. And he'd kind of talk through it. And then, you know, I would be able to say, well, Hey, this occurred. Uh, do you have any advice? Right. And so I almost kind of had this endless day to day, someone who, um, has just been down the road and who I have since learned is an incredible salesperson. And just not really this outspoken, like not typically who someone would think is a really good salesperson, like a very type A, absolutely able, like always has the answer, right? (laughs) Even if it's the answer or not, um, always has the answer, you know, kind of like I think of like the strong personality used car salesman type deal. And I think that's what I'd had in my mind as a salesperson, which is why I always thought, man, I I just, I don't like sales because that's not who I am. I'm just... I just try to be a very honest guy and that doesn't work if you're that sort of salesperson. <laughs> um, and like what I learned was that he just had this way of using just kind of this honesty and this commitment to actually learning about them to actually really identify what their actual needs were and then just talk about, you know, how his, how his solution could help them. And it was almost one of those clicking moments for me as we would, as we would grow. And so, you know, a lot of the sales that I've learned was, you know, directly because of him and just a lot of other wisdom. Um, my mother-in-law is actually like a brilliant, um, just in terms of finances and things like that, numbers and that. So she would help us process, you know, think through some of that stuff. And so I think it was just ongoing access to someone who was really invested in us and really wanted, like, wanted to see us succeed. That was such a big deal for for us, and in, in terms of like what happened specifically for for me in that instance. So, yeah, and it like brings up such a cool point that you know, let's say you didn't move in with them, you may not have had those you know conversations and those moments, and so the fact that you like put yourself into that situation. I know you like didn't put yourself in a situation to get a mentor, but you surrounded mm-hmm. yourself by 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 people who you could learn from. It gave you access to that opportunity. You know, sometimes you know we're looking for a mentor, we want a mentor, and it's hard to find that. But sometimes just by getting closer to people, hanging around people, sometimes that relationship can can come up very naturally. Instead of it like, okay, I need a mentor. Like, who should I choose? Yeah, a- absolutely. I, I would agree with that. And, and that, I mean, that gets into some different complexities as well, which is, I, I just think there's a fine line between just being willing to immerse yourself and be with someone. And also there's some level of consent needed from that mentor. <laughs> so, um, 
you know, if someone is really skilled at business and you're like, man, I'd really love to learn from that person, there, there just might be some level of, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'd say don't like sidle up to them and try to get them to spill their secrets in almost like a manipulative sort of way. I, I don't know if that makes any sense, but like I've, I've experienced that to be honest. And it really comes off as like rude and, um, you, you kind of feel used. And so I, I actually think it's a little important even in how you, how you communicate that as a mentee seeking mentorship. Um, and then this is, this is one of those, like, this is a no brainer thing, but I have seen this so much and it really needs to be called out on a mentoring podcast. And that is if you are going to someone to mentor, to be mentored. I don't care if you absolutely hate what they have to say and think they're an idiot. Like your job, in, in my opinion, this is my opinion. Like if you see yourself as wanting to learn from something, like your job is to shut up and listen and, and ask questions. And if you don't agree with them, that's totally okay. Then like thank them profusely for their time and then don't ask them, don't, don't contact them again. Right. But like I am surprised how many times I've had people who basically like reach out and they're like, Hey, you know, really respect you. You know, like your books, whatever. Just, you know, even for just a quick question. Hey, I just had a, had a, had a question on here. Um, and like, I don't, I don't need to answer that. Yeah. I can ignore that LinkedIn message, but I, I do want to help people. Like I've been helped. I want to help people. I'll spend time to get in and like share my thoughts and I'll, and they'll start like either arguing with me. And I don't, I don't mean in a questioning way. I don't mean in a, okay, are you seeing this? Cause I'm trying to make sure I understand. Cause what I've seen is this. And so I just want to make sure I don't mean in like a, an, like a respectful kind of pondering way. I mean, in just kind of like this, all of a sudden, like, well, you're wrong. I one time had someone say basically like that wasn't helpful to me. <laughs> I was like, sounds good. And ironically, like that person reached out to me again in the future. And I, and I just, I just ignored their message in that instance because like he'd already communicated to me that like he didn't value my help, which is totally like, that's fair. That's his opinion. But like, I have other stuff to do and like, I'm not going to waste either of our time then. Right. And so in some ways, like if you're seeking help from a mentor, like be, be humble enough to be willing to listen and learn. Cause even if you think they're wrong, they actually might be right. You might be wrong. Or if, if you don't think they're a good mentor, like to me, the polite thing is just to like thank them for the time they invested because they didn't need to invest that time, even if they're wrong. And then go find someone that you think is a better fit for you. So I don't know, just be polite and kind in some ways might be the, the summary of that. I mean, that's honestly shocking because like, you know, Kirk, I put you on like the list of like Uber, you know, Uber, Uber digital marketers. So like, even when I like, I reach out and have a question like, oh, like, I, I know he's so busy, but to think that people like will actually come out there, like ask for your time, but then blast you. It like, it doesn't even make sense to me. It's crazy. In, in this specific example, it was something that I didn't, I didn't have a great answer. And so what I, it was one of those where what I did was communicated that honestly. Hey, I don't, I, I don't have a lot of experience with, with that, but here are a couple of things that you could pursue. And that was where the response was kind of like, well, that wasn't very helpful. You know, <laughs> it was kind of like, okay. <laughs> I was kind of shocked to be honest. I was like, all right. But, but like, that's not the only person I've had something similar to let that happen. And, and I really have had people argue. I've had people, and here's another one. Um, not someone who is even coming from, like a negative standpoint, someone who really is excited, they really want to, they really want to meet and learn from you. Um, and sometimes like they kind of get in the way of themselves. So like, 
if if you're someone who's listening and you and you reach out to someone and you say, hey, you know, could I, you know, could I ask you a few questions about blah, blah, blah. And they're like, you know what? Sure. We'll go ahead and do that. Then they, as the person you've asked who, you know, purportedly has the knowledge that you're trying to gain, they should be talking the vast majority of that call. And I've had so many situations where I'm talking to someone who has asked me to hop on the call and, and help guide them on things where I talk, you know, seven minutes of a 30 minute conversation. And I'm like, okay. I mean, you know, that's in some ways, like, like whether or not they valued my information is fine. But also like, if that's kind of what they wanted, they were, if they, they seem to be hoping to get some advice out of that, but you know, they were just excited or maybe sharing like, here's all everything and blah, 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 what to know. And they just kind of talk too much. So I guess that'd be the other thing is, Maybe like if you have the chance to really connect with someone that you would like to learn from, I would actually prepare a lot beforehand. Um, I would actually really have some good questions that you've pondered, thought through, maybe even think through like how you're going to ask them to be succinct, but to communicate well, because that time, like if you're talking to someone um, who's just really a brilliant person in the e-commerce D2C space and they have thoughts on contribution margin or whatever. I was just listening to a podcast with Andrew Ferris and, and Bill DeSandro, I think about that. So that's on my brain. But like, like, let's say that somehow you get Bill on the phone and he's willing just to help you out. You're an ups, you know, you're a person who's just starting out, man, don't, don't ponder what you're going to say live on that call because you might never get that call again. And that might be the most valuable call of your life. Prepare for that call is, is kind of what I'd say. And yeah. Now I'm rambling, but I, I thought of that as well. That That's kind of happened as well. So No, it, I think that's wonderful. You know, I know myself, I struggle with listening. And I think a lot of people do, you Same. know, and, and right. It's like, we have to work on it. So I think that's the first point. Second point is like, I'm you brought back memories of like, when I was doing my MBA and I was at these networking events and like going up to like companies and people like on one hand, you want to hear them, but on the other hand, you want to impress them. Right. Mm, um, yes. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's like, a, so I'm just, I'm thinking like Danny Gavin, you know, tw- you know, 20 years ago or 15 years ago. And I can see like where I was there. And now it's like, man, I would approach that totally different. So I honestly think it's something that exactly. comes with, with maturity and time and age, but that's why it's important to have conversations like this because some people don't even realize that they're doing the wrong thing. That that's so interesting what you say. You're exactly right, and I think that's part of it. And here's you know, and this might be what you said. You know, you've you've learned from it. Here's exactly what I've learned from that, which is if if you are the person talking about all that you know, trying to impress, because again, ironically the odds are in this relationship, and this is okay. This is not a put down thing. This is just kind of the way the world works, right? If we're getting started in something and we're talking to a, a person, you know, we're talking to a lady who is running a multi-million dollar company. She started from the ground up. Again, like the odds are that she has more information from us. So first of all, we're not going to impress her with our knowledge. In fact, we're more likely, we're more likely to, my brain went to, I think it's a proverb actually in the Old Testament. That's something like, um, even a fool is considered wise until they open their mouths. I, I think that, look that up, but I'm pretty sure that's, that's a proverb uh, in the Bible. And like, 
sometimes I keep that in mind that, that like the more that you talk to that person, you're actually, you might, you might be trying to impress them. You might actually be revealing how much like you don't understand about certain things and the way that you can really, really actually impress them. Like if you actually want to make a mark on them, do exactly what I said before, which is think about it and then ask really good questions and then listen, because I guarantee you the vast majority of other people in your position that they meet are doing the first thing. They're just talking. They're trying, they're trying to show off. And like they will remember the person who asked really insightful questions. Cause like we all are like that. So like if someone asks an insightful question, I actually feel like I'm more impressed with that person than if they're just starting to blah, 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 talk about all that they know. And eventually your brain actually shuts off, right? If someone who has a really good question and then stops to listen, man, that, that person is someone actually who I, I think I listen to. So yes, I, I think that advice is so valuable. Let's talk about you being a mentor. I, you know, you speak at conferences, you've written books, you have podcasts. Obviously there's a component to it where you're doing it, you know, to help your brand and your business, but I'm sure you know, there is a part of you want to be out there to help and to teach people. So what led you to do this? And what do you love about being like the really a mentor for so many when it comes to PPC? Yeah, yeah, it's it's fun you say that, because for sure, just like everything in life, there's there's mixed motivations, right? Um, You know, like you put out a course, you spend time and energy to put out a course on like I put one out on Udemy of smart shopping, and then Google killed smart shopping. But and like, all of all of the above, right? Yes, I want to help people learn. I also want to like have the Zato name be more out there and blah, 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 right? You don't put a course on Udemy, by the way, to actually make money unless for some reason it goes like super viral and that's very rare. So <laughs> so it's more like the long-term type type benefit. So I, I think that that's always been part of it for me is is like, I just, I just kind of know like as I try to put good content out there, it does help people. And then there's even something... I don't even know how to describe it. There's something in me sometimes where I'm just like, I don't even care if no one reads this. Like I, I got to write about my concern about PMAX right now or something like that. Right. Yeah. So some of that might be even just that personal drive thing there that is almost this, like it's, I got to write this or I'll die. You know, I noticed that from your writing style. I'm um, often when I'm reading your book, I can see that it is sort of like a self, you know, reflection, working out the, the concepts you know, so sometimes it's not necessarily about, okay, how can I give the point over to someone else? But it's like, I need to figure this out, right? And then mm-hmm. let me take this and share this with the world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I think to my wife's chagrin, sometimes like that's even how I talk, like I process out loud. <laughs> and sometimes like, okay, thank you. Also, you just took 40 minutes to process out loud, you know? <laughs> Sorry, honey, you're right. <laughs> so being in a micro agency, and for those who don't know what a micro agency it means, it's a lot smaller. We're not necessarily looking to grow and get a hundred people. You know, I imagine that there is a lot of mentoring that's going on, especially because, you know, there's only so much that you, Kirk, can do. And obviously there's other people who are in the agency and you need to transfer the knowledge to them. And so I would just love to learn more about specifically in the micro agency kind of world. How how do you, how do you mentor? How do you transfer knowledge? I'm still trying to figure that out well. So if my team ever listens, they'll probably laugh at that question. I don't I don't actually think I'm very good at doing that in our org, in our small organization. Um and I'm trying to get better at that. And what I mean by that is like we're trying to figure out okay, is there a a better process for 
even us like training one another. So one of the things we're going to try starting soon, and, and I mean, this is an idea still stolen from a lot of people who do this is just like, we have a small team. So, Hey, everyone, you know, we have our weekly team meetings, like everyone is going to take a, a topic and going to really dive deep. And then they're just going to do a little presentation and teach us all. And we can kind of ask questions. And so then by the, hopefully by the time we're done with that, like, you know, Google just changed XYZ up about whatever it might be, you know, responsive search ads. Okay. What are some, you know, would someone do some deep dives on articles that Brad Geddes has written and then maybe Fred and they've gathered data. And then what are some really important RSA best practices, things like that. And so that's, I think that's part of what I'm trying to insert into our process. I do try organically as we go. Some of that is just like, as we're chatting, you know, if someone has a question, my objective is not just simply to say, yes, that is correct. That's how, you know, that's what you should do in Google Merchant Center. Like my objective is to be like, okay, so here's how Google Merchant Center, you know, handles that. So when we have the feed, go blah, 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 blah. We, we literally just had this happen where I, I helped talk someone through because, because she was like, oh, should we use a supplemental feed for that? I was like, well, no, I think we should actually do that right within Merchant Center in the main feed. And here's why. And, you know, we kind of talked through that. I tried to give the reasons. So, you know, that, that probably, so it's kind of happening organically a little bit here within our agency and then trying to build that in with process as well. But also, I honestly don't know if I'm super great at that within my own org. <laughs> so we all, we're all learning and changing and growing. So finding the best way to spread the knowledge around, right? It's not always easy. Yeah. And, and we have to try. I love that idea of having like that presentation. That's something that we do as well. And it's so valuable. Cool. And, and even when, let's say, you know, I, I imagine when it comes to a micro agency, pretty much everyone's related. So I, I, in larger agencies, you know, you might have someone who works, let's say, in the SEO department and they're listening to like a Facebook presentation. But I feel like even in those sort of scenarios, like there's so much you can gain from those sort of presentations. So let's now move into marketing. I feel like this is so timely. So I kind of want to just jump straight into it. Let's yeah. talk a little bit about Performance Max. <laughs> I I just got a, off a call, you know, I teach at U of H and we had a a project with a real life company. Um, they're a small e-commerce store that sells girls' dresses and clothing. And, you know, they, they run on Shopify and, you know, she had that automatic setup to run Google Shopping campaigns, comes along and says, hey, no more shopping campaigns. You got to run Performance Max. She had a horrible... Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And she said, like, thank God, I I have a husband who, you know, he, we, we privately rely on his income. Because honestly, if it would have just been my income, I would have had a big problem. So th that's crazy. Like, so what's what's going on with Performance Max? I'd love to know, you know, what do you think? So I just had literally just had a an extended conversation on Twitter about Performance Max today, where I kind of like, I've not talked about performance max a lot online. And I think this is why. So the timing of this is kind of humorous because I, th I think I have a better idea of what I think about performance max. And that is that I just don't know. I think there is so much we don't know about performance max that it's very difficult to formulate hard opinions. And my concern is how much I'm seeing Google and some, in some ways, other advertisers pushing hard opinions about performance mess, especially when it's in kind of the, the positive way. Because I just, there, there are certain aspects of it that I feel like I have unanswered questions to that are, are pretty big. So uh, a few of those, you know, a few of those would be, okay. Um, first of all, what we've seen 
is that overall, if you have, and this makes sense, but if you have a lot of data, so you have a lot of conversion data, you have a lot of spend, you have a lot of ability for Google to just go nuts and really find stuff. At least even within directly tracked stuff, Performance Max really does seem to do well. It can just be very hit or miss and tends to be more on the miss side for smaller accounts. But again, that's that's oftentimes who Google suggests should, should try Performance Max, right? Um, and so you just have like oddities, oddities there, especially the disconnect between who they say should use it. Um, and, and I don't know, maybe that started a change shift within Google. But as far as I know that, you know, they've always been big proponents of, Hey, this is, you know, this is for, yeah, this is for anyone in some way. So go ahead and try this. You're just starting out. Sweet. Build a performance max campaign. So, so you have that aspect. You have the aspect of we are very early in a, in a significantly account consuming campaign type. We are very early in, in, identifying what that does to a bigger business reality. So what I mean by that is if someone primarily uses performance max, let's just give it the benefit out. Even if it is sending directly tracked sales and you're hitting your ROAS, you're hitting your efficiency targets. Like what is that doing if you're so if you're going to run that for the next 3 years of your business life, 5 years of your business life. Like what is what is what are they doing? Like who are they actually running after in their in in their targeting for their audiences especially? Are they primarily and this is what a lot of people have kind of investigated and, and talked about is that are they primarily especially if you have a ROAS target on there, are they primarily pushing at your bottom funnel? Because if that's the case, then like, how is that a sustainable long-term solution? If you're just never really going after, you're just never generating demand, you're never really, you know, going after top of funnel stuff. So at the very least, and this is part of what we do when we do utilize Performance Max is we still utilize it in a fairly like comprehensive account wide, like we have YouTube stuff running, especially for top of funnel. We're still very much targeting specific things with search. We're still running standard shopping campaigns on the side as well. Um, and we're utilizing performance max. So I, I just think that there are, there are some questions around that sort of, you know, that sort of mindset that still has me just going, huh, with performance max. And, and we're, we're, we're testing it. We have found it to be in terms of, I keep saying directly tracked efficiency and revenue for a very specific reason, because based on what Google's tracking and what Google says as far as what you're receiving, you know, then, then it, then it can often do very well, especially have, if it has enough data and enough revenue. But again, kind of that bigger picture of how it's working within all of your marketing channels. I, I actually think still is not fully answered, at least from what I've seen. So I'm, I'm just, I'm concerned when people are just very much all in on PMAX, even at the extent of primarily using PMAX because of those questions. So that was very a very long rambling reply, but again, like I said, it's kind of right, it's kind of in my brain as of this morning, even. So, but that that nugget of where you've put in a ROAS target and and kind of like performance max, where is it targeting? You know, most probably lower funnel, not top of funnel. I don't know. I think that's a genius insight because it's like performance max is meant to be like taking everything together, right? How can I make YouTube more efficient? How can I make all these things? But if in the end of the day, like it's 
Like you have the option to show on YouTube, but really it's targeting the bottom of the funnel. And then what was the point in the first place? So I don't know that, that, that makes me really curious. Well, and, and some of that could be, and again, this is just where I, I keep talking about time because I think that is important. Part of, part of, and that's part of what's been difficult with Google lately is stuff changes so quickly. It's just, it's hard to see. So like smart shopping, did smart shopping as a campaign type overall work in terms of big picture with blah, blah, blah. I don't know. It only ran like two years, you know, like that is just, that is not a long enough time to really identify, in my opinion, just the validity for businesses of a, of a, of a marketing channel. And, and so anyway, so, so PMAX, there's just still some stuff where I just think, okay, there are options to pursue harder after like new customer acquisition in terms of conversion goal settings. You know, you can, you can mess with different audience signals to Google, although even then they're only suggestions. So Google still will run after whatever they want, but you can set an audience signal with your performance max campaign. It's a suggestion. Okay. So again, like I'm just, I'm just curious to know over time, like, are there marketers out there who really have done a lot of like really digging into driving demand gen and new customers and they, they have visible success and they, they have all that and they just really are not, are not ensuring that it's brand. And, and I am just to be very clear, cause there might be someone watching who's like, cool, we've solved that. We have, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of like the hack. We apply the brand keyword as a negative. It's like, that's not, that's not just what I'm talking about. I mean, Okay, so you're not just going after brand. We're talking like bottom funnel visitors. We're talking like people through remarketing and others who are more primed. And, and you just can't as a business only ever focus on those people. Is it part of your overall strategy where you just have really awesome demand gen other channels going on? And, and in some ways now you're just treating PMAX as like your bottom funnel strategy. Okay. That, that's actually fair. But, but those are the sort of questions I've just not really heard people talking about. With Pmax, it's either someone's like, I hate Pmax, or someone's like, I just, I love Pmax. And I just think it's more complicated than that. And at least we need to start asking these questions and pondering this together um, before, you know, Google forces everything to Pmax all the time and we have no option, you know, for anything else. So, I mean, not, not to bring up conspiracy theories, but do you feel like <laughs> things like Pmax like, are just here to like cover up? Like, it's like, oh, we, we're not getting enough retargeting spend. So let's find a way to get people to do more retargeting. I don't know. I don't think it's too much of a stretch at all because Google has been, you know, found out, if you will, like sued. There's settlements in that for a variety of, of bad faith gestures that they've done. And I, I'm forgetting some of the names of those. There's one that I'm pretty sure it, it has the word Jedi in it, actually, ironically. I want to say it's like Blue Jedi or something. I, I can't remember. Uh, Mike Mike Ryan, we've talked about this and he's brought it up. Uh, like, I think Project Berninke is something. Like, so all, all that to say that, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not explicitly stating that I, they are doing something wrong. I'm just saying like, there is, there is evidence that they are not unwilling to <laughs> to mess with, you know, ad targeting in that in a way that helps their bottom line, right? So if you have, let's just say a campaign type like Performance Max, where you can target any placement within Google Ads, so any placement within any auction that the system wants to target, and that, and there's no visit, there's no external visibility on that at all. 
So, you know, like your question, right? And you, and you know this, so I'm saying this more for your audience, but like your question, it's very fair. And guess what? Neither of us can determine whether or not Google's doing that because it's completely hidden within the system. And so like, is it that much of a stretch where if they have some placements that are lower value, but they have some spend to attribute? And as long as they're hitting your ROAS targets to slough off traffic and spend into those poor performing placements that otherwise someone explicitly targeting them would never choose. I don't think it's much of a stretch or conspiracy theory at all. And, and that sort of campaign type like offers the perfect environment to do that in. So. So bottom, bottom line is time will tell and we need to be patient time will tell. and hopefully yeah. they'll let it run a little bit longer so we can actually figure it out and it won't be the next, you know, smart shopping. So near the end of our conversation, we know, or I don't know if we know, but we'll let people know that Kirk loves Star Wars. Um, so we'd love to end off with what are your top three? And it could be movies. It could be TV shows. When it comes to Star Wars, what are your top three? I think I'll always be old school in that there was something about being a kid and watching Empire Strikes Back that was just this like mind blowing, like the story, the, 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 the shifts inside of what happened in Empire Strikes Back just rest with me at an emotional level and I'll always love it. It's, I, I think it's just always going to be number one because of like what I remember experiencing as a kid. Um, so Empire Strikes Back for me. Uh, is, is top. And then I, and then I'll put Rogue One second. I loved Rogue One. Um, third is, is just a, I don't know, a blend of like everything else. So yeah, I don't, I don't know if Mandalorian or Andor would kind of beat them, beat each other out. Cause I like both for different reasons. I love, I love how Andor was kind of completely different than other Star Wars stuff. I just, I just love that. Um, but I, but Mandalorian to me was just this awesome, like fully Star Wars feel. I don't know. I love the cartoons. I love Rebels and Clone Wars. And so anyways, so all of the, how about that? All of the Star Wars universe that's not Rogue One and Empire Strikes Back would be in number three place for me. <laughs> and all of the wonderful opportunities in the future, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Keep, keep it coming. I don't keep it going. I will watch it. I will continue watching. <laughs> yeah, it took like, what, 20, 30 years for them to actually get started. But now they're started, keep going. Yep. Now it's a money machine. So why wouldn't they? So, yeah. Exactly. What, what about you? Oh, um, I'm, I'm a traditionalist. The, the first three films are, are deep in my heart. I remember going when they were remastered. I don't know if you went to the theater when they were remastered for the first time. And so I remember going. No. And yeah, it was, it was, I think it was like in the late 90s. And that was like a big mm-hmm. deal. Like it was cool. So mm-hmm. for me, that's, that's special. Um, I still haven't gotten into the shows. Um, everyone's telling me to, so I will, but uh, it's going to take some time. You haven't watched them or haven't gotten into them emotionally? No, no, no. Or I haven't had them at all. I haven't watched them yet. Yeah. I don't know which one I'd say to start with. I, I would say I liked, again, like I say, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a person who just, I just enjoy it all. Like people will be like, I completely hated number, you know, episode nine or whatever. I'm like, I just, I just enjoy it all. I enjoy it if it's Star Wars. Um, I always love Solo and the Star Wars story. And I think there was kind of a time, kind of like prequels, there was a time where people kind of hated, hated them, hated Solo. I've always kind of liked all of them. The only one I'll say is Boba Fett to me as the show, the series is probably like my least favorite of the series, which is too bad because Boba Fett has actually always been my favorite character. 
So I was like, uh, I don't, I don't know. It just got a little sometimes that like the speeder bike gang, you'll know what I mean when you get there. It's kind of like, okay, there's a random like teen speeder bike gang. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> I actually have to send you a picture. Um, an employee of mine gave me a gift. It's this giantly framed picture of Boba Fett, but it's made of little. Darth Vader's and stormtroopers, you know, like those little pictures oh, to make cool. a big picture. I'm going to have to send it to you. Um, like it was so random. It's like, well, that's cool. So yeah, I'll, I'll send a picture to you. So Love it. what's, what's next, Kirk? Is it another book? Is it like, what's, what's your next big, big thing? So I'm trying to build my YouTube channel. So that might be my current focus, Merchant Center Mastery. Hopefully Google doesn't like totally change Google Merchant Center. <laughs> if you do, you'll hear this loud wavering cry that you'll be like, what is that? It's coming from up north in Montana because Kirk is wailing. But, but that's currently what I'm trying to do. I'm, I'm just basically trying to like go deep into here, just r- almost like random specific things you can do with Merchant Center to try to just help people know Merchant Center better. Um, so that's, that's a big thing. And then our, our, PPC Ponderings podcast, we are, we're taking a little break from it. It just took a ridiculous amount of production stuff that I did. And then a, a guy in my team did, um, which was fun. And it was, it was really fun to do, but it took a lot of time for each episode. And we were kind of like, okay, we're kind of tired. <laughs> um, but our next season is going to be, and we might keep this up. We'll see. We're going to try it for a season, see how it goes, but it, it's, it's, it's going to be focused on PPC Ponderings with perfect strangers. And it's going to be like, shorter interviews with like random PPCers that like we and nobody know almost as a way of just like helping give access to people who don't usually, you know, aren't going to be the ones on the speaking circuit, stuff like that. But, but each of them has just a super cool tactical, here's, here's a really helpful tip. And then also we get to know a little bit more about them as people as well. So that's, that's going to be our second season coming up here in 2023 for, for our podcast. So probably those two things right now are on the roadmap. I am so excited for that. And I love how you give back in that way, the same way that mm-hmm. you were founded, you're giving up, up people different opportunities to do that as well. That's why you are a first class guy. Where can listeners learn more about you and your business? Uh, let's see. I'm PBC Kirk pretty much everywhere on social, every channel, although I will warn you, my TikTok channel has, well, what, whatever it's called. I don't even know. I'm old, all right? It started to shift from being PPC focused. And like, I discovered that no one cares about my PPC videos on there, but they want to see my Lego Star Wars. So I've just started doing little things with Lego Star Wars. Um, but ever, everywhere else, if you want PPC knowledge is PPC Kirk. And then, um, yeah, Zato, ZatoMarketing.com. So for, for a business. So. Wonderful. Kirk, thank you so much for being a guest on the Digital Marketing Mentor. It's really been a pleasure. And obviously, thank you listeners for tuning in to the Digital Marketing Mentor. We'll speak with you next time. Thank you for listening to the Digital Marketing Mentor podcast. Be sure to check us out online at thedmmentor.com and at the DM Mentor on Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts for more Marketing Mentor magic. See you next time.